Hi, I'm Devin Moore, your host for Humanity Rising's Race to Speak Up podcast and founder of Hashtag Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization. The Race to Speak Up podcast is a place where we have open and engaging conversations about bullying prevention, how to be upstanders, and how we are making a positive change in our communities. So the question now is, how do you race to speak up? Hello, and welcome to the Race to Speak Up podcast. I'm your host, Devin Moore. Today's guest is Crystal Brown. Crystal is a mother, artist, educator, and coach. She is the founder of InSpirit, Project Becoming, the creator of the Liquid Strength Training Module for Dance, an associate professor of dance and director of the Anti-Racist Task Force at Middlebury College, and the CVO of Steps and Stages, LLC. I learned about Crystal through the Race Amity National Conference, where she was one of the presenters. I was a guest speaker, and I spoke about cyberbullying and how to be an upstander. Crystal's endeavors are quite impressive, and I'm excited to talk to her about them. Welcome, Crystal. How are you? I'm excellent, Devin. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us about the Project Becoming? Of course. So actually, it's interesting. Project Becoming started in the Bronx in 2000, actually. Maybe 2005, 2005. Um, And it was actually in response to what I saw walking around during the day. So I was an artist in New York City. A lot of people know me as a dancer. It's kind of my first kind of mark on the world. And um, what I noticed is that I would see young women walking around at like in the afternoon, like 12 o'clock. And I'd be like, "Um, what's happening with school here? What's going on? And I actually knew being from a small town that I got into a lot of um, what they would call in statistical analysis, risky behaviors at that age, right? And it was really because no one was answering my questions. And I just thought about these young women so much. I would like see them and I would go home and I'd just be thinking like mulling over, like, what are they doing? Um, because in New York City, like they had an unlimited Metro card in the middle of the day, right? I lived in a little town in North Carolina, so I could drive places and get into, you know, mischief, but they could be all over the world, basically. And I thought, what could I do to offer them a platform to one, be safe, two, get their questions answered, and three, actually become the women they want to be. And so in Project Becoming, we developed a five-strand curriculum alongside my collaborator, Paloma McGregor, that really asked who are you who do you want to be not what do you want to be when you grow up but who do you want to be right because you could be a doctor or a lawyer and still be a crappy unhappy person right so we really want to know who do you want to become while you're doing all these other things and what was important to you so we created this curriculum of asking better questions and giving them time to actually talk and listen and ask the other questions that were really a part of their day-to-day lives that maybe their adults in their lives, their mothers, their, you know, their parental figures didn't feel like broaching or didn't have the information to give them. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, in addition to working with young girls and inspiring them to be the best versions of themselves, you're also the founder of InSpirit. Can you tell us about it? Of course. So in spirit, again, is um, an endeavor that started because many people don't know this, Devin. I actually became a professional dancer. I've had an amazing career. I own a dance company. I tour all over the world. Um, But I actually started dancing because my best friend's mom dropped me off at the wrong place in a carpool. 
I was supposed to be going to a piano lesson and got dropped off at a dance studio. <laughs> and so I ended up watching one of my best friends take a ballet class and kind of went home and started to negotiate with my mother of like, can I please stop playing the piano? Can I go do this other thing instead? And that's how my dance career was built. And so when I became when the door started to open for me to become a professional dancer, I honestly felt like I needed to do something to honor the women and the people around me who were really training their whole lives to have what seemed to just kind of open up for me, right? And it opened up for me because in some ways, um, my, my mother raised me to be a little bit of her protege. My mother was a county commissioner for 23 years. She never graduated from college. And so I understood how to navigate social and political situations early in life. And so my dance career was actually built through relationships rather than what people would call talent, right? And so when I started to um, become or have a seat at these other tables that were in the professional dance world, I started to meet these other women who were far better dancers than me and just didn't have access to the table. So InSpirit was actually built to open the door for other women creatives and art artists and choreographers to come together to create new work that would elevate their own individual careers. Wow, it's, it's crazy how just that one being dropped off at that dance class, as well as also your mother, like teaching you all of these different life skills led to InSpirit yeah. and led to you being such an amazing woman that you are today. I watched you on YouTube dancing and you are very incredible. Um, what's your favorite type of in dance? What's your favorite type of dance? I mean, yeah, yeah. I think mostly um, it's funny that you asked that because I have a, a really, a really close girlfriend who we've been friends since like elementary school. She's also, she also dances, but in her kind of regular life, she's a logistical analyst. <laughs> so uh, we were talking about this early this past week. We were just talking about how I love to communicate. Right. And so for me, dance is another language. Um, and so what we would call that as a type of dance would probably be like contemporary modern. But for me, it's all the things that have coalesced inside me to create a movement language that allows me to be so very clear in what I want to say from my mind, my heart and my spirit. Right. And so when I think about all the movement languages that are in my body, right, there's tap, ballet, jazz, acrobatics, kung fu, tai chi, point, you know, West African dance, there's all these things that I've learned. And so inside me, there's this way that when we think about building a vocabulary skill as a writer or as a student or as a speaker, all of those vocabularies have kind of coalesced into my body to create what I kind of teach is liquid strength, which is a ritualistic way of honoring the body and asking it to be the capacity holder for what you want to say, right? And so my girlfriend and I were talking about this because she's more of a like, I need the counts, what is the step type of dancer? And I'm kind of like, what does it feel like? <laughs> you know? And so it's a, one of those ways where kind of we kind of bring meaning to the making of art. I think what artists are doing a lot of times is meaning making. We as individuals who don't have that artistic channel open, right? And I'm saying that because we all have an artistic channel. We just don't open it. Right. So there's a way that we send and receive information constantly through our day and artists are really those people who are taking it in, noticing it, catalyzing it and making meaning out of it to share back to the world. That's cool. So what's been your most memorable dance performance? Oh, hmm, I don't know. I guess I have a couple. When, when you say that a couple pop into my mind, um, my father uh, lost both his legs in Vietnam. 
And so he passed away right before I graduated from college. So he never saw the real fruition of my performance career. He would always joke that I got my dancing talent from him, but we, my brother and I were both born after he lost his leg. So there was like no proof of that. We can't prove that, right? Um, and so we would always joke about that. Um, but one of the most memorable performances for me is that um, at one of the heights of my career with Urban Bushwomen, uh, we created a piece called Southern Diaries, Walking with Pearl Southern Diaries. It's an homage to Pearl Primus, who was one of the first African-American female dance anthropologists. And so in making this work, we were asked to channel a lot of the roots of our family. And be, be, me being from the South, I brought a lot to the creative process, just bringing my grandmother's spirit and the people that I grew up with into the room. And by this time, my father was deceased, but the piece actually premiered on the anniversary of his passing. And I can really remember how much it felt that he was in the room and in the building um, as that piece came to fruition and was performed for an audience for the first time. Wow. I really love how you have so many different sources of inspiration, so many different like people that really have inspired you within your family. I, I, I mean, that's really an amazing thing. What ages do you teach? Uh, right now, I focus in terms of dance training. I focus my attention on college aged students, um, pre-professional training. Um, but in my coaching practice, I teach mostly, I would say, 30 plus age group, right? So I ter uh, there are clients that I have who are in their early 30s and there are clients who I have who are in their late 70s, right? But they're all thinking right. about getting back to the source and the kernel of their own um, intuition so they can live the lives that they love rather than the ones that they've been prescribed. It, it really is, Devin, um, what I believe is my actual gift is the teaching and translation of large human spiritual artistic principles into manageable sustainable daily practices learning about these different things i mean it aids in one having a good conversation and two hearing what other people think so yeah. just like from what you're doing you're helping um not only bring the youth together you're helping bring multiple at different ages together which i really do admire that yeah i, I mean it's really wonderful because your work is also about identity right and i think at the core of it you and i are doing a lot of similar work in terms of uplifting the individual identity so that that person or that being can contribute their full selves to the world without having to make accommodations that's very true we're giving others a platform to really learn and really prosper exactly yeah i know that you presented same but different at the race amity conference can you tell us about it Sure, of course. So Same But Different is a collaboration uh, with myself and Lida Winfield. Um, I think a part of what Lida says and that I think about in my coaching practice a lot is vision. And um, I had this kind of flippant vision about four or five years ago, and I just walked up to her and said, I think we should make a piece called Same But Different, and we should take it on tour. And I think it should be about how we're, we look different, but we're a lot alike and people wouldn't notice unless we make it really explicit for them. So Lida's white, I'm black, she's from the North, I'm from the South, right? We, she grew up in, the, in an educational way that told her that she had a, a, a dyslexia issue that kept her from being quote unquote smart. And I grew up in a place where I was one of the first African-American children to integrate the accelerated learning classes. And so, but what we found together is this way that it made both of us very curious about the world and other people so that we could know how to respond to how they responded to us 
Right? And so what we really found in our teaching is that we're oftentimes creating the same spaces for our students that allow them to find out more information about themselves, the information we're teaching and catalyzing that again into this stronger identity. So when we started to make this piece or decided that, okay, yeah, we're going to do it. It took us about four years to really build a friendship that allowed us to know more about each other. And so we started this process by interviewing each other, you know, just by hanging out, by asking the hard questions. And we recorded all these interviews and then we started to move and dance together in these kind of improvisational scores. And then by the time we got ready to really say, okay, we're going to put this out to the world. We had so much material that we didn't know what to do with it. And so we invited a woman named McCole Bean Casino into the process to be our dramaturg. And basically what that means is that she's someone who looks at the full picture and kind of breaks it down into a, a nice through line. It would be like a movie editor, right? Mm -hmm. And so she came in and broke down all of the kind of big stories that we were telling into these small chunks. And that's how we got to the final product of Same But Different. And then within that process, we were actually able to bring one of our students alongside of us to be the director of photography. So she actually filmed it and became the editor that, of the digital piece you saw. And um, we brought in two collaborators who were our composers, Philippe Bronstein and Farai Malianga, a Zimbabwean American and a, a, a French Canadian, right? Who kind of brought, came in and created their own kind of same but different uh, analysis of what we were, we were making. So it was awesome. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I, that's actually one of my messages through Race to Speak Up, my meaning of the Race to Speak Up, not only my organization, but as well my podcast. Race to yeah. Speak Up is, we are all a part of one race, which is the human race. We, though we have differences, we still have similarities. And through our differences, we can work to embrace each other. We should, yeah. you know, work to create more division. There's so much division in the world. We, that shouldn't be a part of our day. I know when it comes to teaching about um, bullying, that's what I say. We, bullying shouldn't be a part of our day. This division shouldn't be a part of our day. And even with what you're doing, of course, you're working to bring people together and exactly. show them um, your similarities and you can embrace these differences. Yeah. which I truly admire. I really am uh, listening to you and loving everything you're, that you're saying. I really admire that. Thanks. I think our stories are so powerful, Devin. I mean, it's really the baseline of even the anti-racist work I'm doing here at Middlebury. One of the core tenets of our process over the next last year and this coming year are story circles, right? Where we really just throw out a large topic. We bring people together and everyone gets to tell their story on the topic. And we do it in like these two minute chunks so that no one feels like they're on display for too long. And then in the minute after that, people can respond with what they hear and ask questions. But again, the storyteller doesn't even really have to answer the question, right? The story stands on its own. It's a part of them that they've offered to the community that then we get to digest and know more about the people who we're living, working and becoming with. That's amazing. I know with, um... When it comes to, actually, there was this one time where I spoke in front of a class of fifth graders, yeah. and I was asking them about their bullying experiences. I was teaching them about cyber, physical, verbal, and social, mm -hmm. um, but I asked them about their personal experiences, and uh, unfortunately, they had so many, they remembered everything, uh, and unfortunately, there wasn't a real solution, but just by me asking that and by me giving them this environment uh that created um a safe space i created a safe space we're creating yeah. safe spaces for people to really talk about it it really right. opens the conversation and 
it allows for us to get a better education as well as come together. You definitely mm -hmm. learning about people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I know that you're a vision coach. Can you tell us about um, what that means to be? Of course, a yeah, I'd love to. So um, really, you know, I also just wanna put this out there to your audience, especially Devin, because I think it's, it, it bears explaining, right? So as a tenured professor, it's not that I don't believe in education, but education is a limited system that doesn't necessarily allow for people to focus on what they would love they actually focus on proficiency rather than purpose, right? And so when I think about my work as a vision coach, it's really to ask people, what is the seed or the kernel of the gift that you would like to present in the world? And that's not your vocation. That's not how you just trade your time for money. It's not the thing that people have been telling you you were good at your whole life. It's really, what's the thing that lights you up? And so many people put that on the side or the back burner and they call that a hobby. And really, it's the thing that they have the most power to affect change with in the world. And it might not seem global, it could seem very localized, but it really is the thing that when they're doing it, time passes, they feel elated, they want to get back to doing it again. And what really prohibits them from doing that are the success metrics that we put in place. Well, oh, are you going to make any money at it? Oh, well, did you buy a house yet? Oh, well, I mean, do people understand what you're doing? Can you get certified or validated for it? And so what I like to do with my clients is reel it back into finding that space and that thing that they really love. Does it give them more life? Does it um, expand their sense of self? Does it allow them to impact others? Will they need help from a higher power to do it? Like, is this something that's really born in you? And so as we do that, we start to create a vision of what the life that they're living would look like if they were we're doing that as their full time existence. And as we do that, we start to create these guardrails, which are the vision stands as a guardrail rather than a goal to achieve. So if I have this big vision, then I'm not going to go too far to the right or too far to the left. It's going to keep me inside my what, what Gay Hendricks calls your zone of genius. And so instead of just settling for my zone of competency or my zone of excellence, I want to keep moving my life towards my zone of genius so that I can fulfill the larger purpose inside me. Right. And so that's really what my vision coaching is about. It's about getting people to see themselves bigger and higher, freer and fuller in the gift that they were already born with. That's amazing. It's well, I'm really just glad that you're helping people really see who they are and that they have the power to do what they want and yeah. for good and do it for good. On okay. your website, it says, I believe in people and I believe in vision. What does this mean to you? Yeah, well, I believe in people. You know, one of the things that, you know, aside from the dancing and the teaching, like at the core of all this, Devin, is that I love people. And I really would do anything to be with people. Like my dance career is built because I just love people. Like it got me to be, I could get into the hearts and minds of a thousand people at once on a stage, right? People who would come up to me after shows and tell me their entire life story, which if I met them on the street, they might not do that, right? It was the medicine and the candy. So I got to this place where I would start, I was really understanding that my gift was not really being on stage or being in a classroom, it was the connection that I have with people because I really love to see people thrive. Like I really wanna see everybody win. Honestly, like it's like, I think yeah. it's like one of those misnomers these days where people think there's some kind of hidden agenda, but I honestly believe if everyone is living in their freedom, in their full vision, 
then everyone can see everyone for who they are. And we don't have this division and separation that you were referencing earlier. And we actually have a world of free people. And freedom doesn't mean that we are reckless, right? It means that we are actually reigning in the kingdom of our freedom, freedom. Dumb, dumb is like one of those words that means, um, you know, the suffix that really means a holistic container. So what is your free space? If we're living in that all the time, then, you know, we have no choice but to offer each other respect, understanding, right? Love in action. That would definitely allow for there to be more peace in the world and really just comfortable. Like, I'm, as you're speaking, I'm really putting myself in the shoes of someone who, I mean, I am, of course, doing what I love. Yeah. And it's a hobby in certain ways because I love writing and I love um, podcasts. I love having a podcast and yeah. um, speaking to others. So that's somewhat of the hobby side of it, but I'm also helping others. That's like where I'm comfortable in it. And I think that that definitely, if more people were to just really be able to be in a world like that, I think that that would just feel very comfortable. Like I just feel this sense of relaxation. I really would, I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing because it really is helping a lot of people, just giving them a platform and setting their goals, setting who they are. Yeah, yeah, and it really validates their own intuition. Right? We know who we are from the beginning. We're trained out of our own identity, right? There are layers that are put on top of the things that we know to be true about us that we then have to navigate in order to be accepted, in order to find value in ourselves, in order for others to find value in us. And those layers are really what we're trying to um, keep from piling on. And if we have accumulated them over the years, we need a process to take them off. Very true. And it's good that we have people like us in the world to help people get rid of those layers and educate them. And of course, again, give them the platform to learn. You're also a disciple. Can you tell us about that? Of course. Okay. So I love this because, um, you know, there's a a large conversation happening uh, right now, especially in academia. There was this, the first, I think, uh, atheist spiritual leader hired at Harvard. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's Harvard. Um, and uh, there's all this conversation between being religious and being spiritual, which let's just be clear is an old conversation, right? We, we've been having this conversation for eons. I remember when I thought I was really deep in college and I was like, I'm more spiritual than I am religious. I just really, I was like, I was like, I'm deep. I don't know about you people, <laughs> right? You know, I, I remember my twenties, they were, they were really great. Um, but really, when I call myself a disciple, Devin, disciple really means a learner. And we've taken the word to mean, you know, many things like right? disciple of Christ, disciple of, right? And my first discipleship was from dance. It's where I learned to show up, to do the necessary exercises, to practice what it meant to be proficient before I could be a performer. It is what catalyzed my understanding of ritual that equals results. It's what made me understand that a religious practice or a religious ceremony is really to elevate you into a spiritual understanding. And so when I call myself a disciple, it is because of my spiritual life, but it's also because I understand deeply what the word means and that you have to do what's necessary before you can ascend to doing what is magical, spiritual, you know, larger than life, right? When I step on stage, I have no doubt that people are not seeing me at all. I'm not there anymore, Devin. 
right. And I think if you ask most really amazing performers, you know, they'll tell you the same thing. There's a part of them that has to, to leave. Like they have to let go of the, the control that they may have groomed and trained into their bodies, their minds, their voices, so that something bigger can take over. And that's really the conversation that most performers are having from stage. It's a, it's a heart to heart conversation, not a look at how amazing I am conversation. It's really just your body and its movements, right? That's what you're saying, right? Your body oh. and its movements, um, understanding, isn't, I think that's a way to understand yourself, right? Because that's what you're saying. That's kind of another, uh, definitely another way to understand yourself. Exactly, because we're walking around in these bodies all day, mm -hmm. right? And if we're not paying attention to them, if we're not listening to the kinesthetic, the physiological clues that our bodies are giving us about how we may be feeling, how we may be growing, what are the dangers or opportunities that are coming towards us, right? We're, we're constantly trying to navigate it from here but we're not feeling the response, right? And then by the time we do, maybe we're lashing out or maybe we're so overwhelmed by our own kinesthetic understanding that we're like curled up in a ball in the corner in tears, right? Because we haven't been able to modulate that daily practice of listening to ourselves, to the world and having that feedback and that dialogue. I see. And definitely yeah. like overthinking, that adds a whole bunch of more layers. Oh. Devin, don't even get me started. I just gave my I just gave my clients an entire like mm. we were talking about this last night until 10 o'clock. I have one of my life mastery groups meets and they net we never end on time. So we were talking about this last night and this idea of overthinking is about cycles, right? It's about getting stuck, really, because the overthinking means you're thinking about something over and over and over. What people are confusing overthinking with is the concept of rumination. And rumination means getting to a deeper level of the thought process and getting to a better question to come to a new understanding to take new action. When we're overthinking, we're just doing the same thing over and over and over, because if we were coming up with something better, it would lead us into a different train of thought. Right. And so this kind of, this idea that people are now taking pride in it, they're, they're like, yes, I'm just an overthinker. Like, I, I don't want anyone ever to say that again. Right? I, don't, I, I just don't want, I don't want anyone to claim that for themselves because it's a cycle of being stuck. I see what you mean. Yeah. So your line of work, have you ever, um, have you ever found people really just adding more onto their day? So what I mean is saying like, oh, I have to get up and I have to brush my teeth, I have to wash my face, and then I have to go straight downstairs and I have to get breakfast and do all these different things. Do you uh -huh. find people doing that a lot? Yeah, so you mean people just kind of um, task tasking themselves to death? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I see that a lot. And so I'm, and that's the coach that I tell people I am not, right? <laughs> people <laughs> like, can you help me get my dating? I'm like, I can't do that because I don't actually know what you value. And again, the values and the vision are what's going to drive real dynamic action, right? Because if you don't believe that something is necessary, you can brush your teeth every day, Devin. It's, it's, it's a habit. It's not a ritual. You might not get any better at it, right? The goal is to put your energy into things that are transforming you moment by moment, day by day, year by year into a life that you would love. And so that transformation can't happen if you're just worried about checking it off the list. Cause you're not even a, you're not even showing up for it fully. You're on autopilot. That's very true. I never thought of it like that, but I'm glad you're opening my eyes. You really do open people's eyes. Cause I'm really thinking about that. Yeah. 
What's been the most challenging part of your journey? Hmm. Um, the most challenging part of my journey, Devin, has been believing in my own gift. Yeah. Really? That's Can you real. elaborate on that? Yeah, of course. So I grew up, like, like I told you, um, kind of like my mother's protege. My brother and I are eight years apart. So it wasn't like they were ready to have another child. But I told you my father lost both his legs in Vietnam. So I was raised essentially by my mother and a father with PTSD. Right. And that was this this was in the late 70s, early 80s when people didn't have language for these types of things. And so a lot of my uh, upbringing or a lot of my childhood was about me understanding how to navigate um, this large gap between my brother and I and the spaces between my mother and father's kind of emotional dissonance in the household and this idea that I needed to be really smart at school and this idea that oh I had found this thing that I was good at and people clapped called dancing so really I had to really take out and parcel out all of these ways that I had learned to um, navigate these systems and relationships into an identity that felt holistic for me and I started when I when I say to you oh my real gift is about people it was kind of built in those structures of knowing how to navigate certain people, how to navigate certain cultures, right? Being the only African-American child in these academic classes, also a lot of times being the only African-American in um, my dance classes, also being one of these kind of like first, it was a lot of first, right? Like first person in my family to graduate from college, um, the first black junior miss in 26 years, all of these things that were contingent or felt like they had an impact because of what I looked like rather than who I was, right? And what I could do rather than who I was, what I could offer rather than who I was. And so later in life, I started to really realize that my gift with people was about transformation. And it happened in a dance studio and it happened in a classroom and it happened on stage. But I really had to own that it was something that was in me, not something that I was doing. Right, because it started to come out in so many ways that it didn't really matter what the medium was. It was the thing that I needed to nurture inside me that allowed all these things to be possible. Right, And so that was something I really grappled with um, in my career and even in starting my coaching practice because I had to, then I felt like I had to prove to people that I was more than a dancer. Right, And so it was all... Yeah, it was all of these ways that I had to start to own it for myself in a different way so that I could actually be honest with myself. So do you think that people will be able to, is there a certain time that you think that people will find their gift in their life or does it just happen at any time in their life? I mean, I think there are people like you, Devin, who are exceptions to the rule, right? Like the only thing you're going to have to worry about right now is not letting it become a hobby. That's actually, I see what you mean by that. Cause a lot of, um, like say my family or even honestly my therapist, like when I'm talking about um, what I do, they're always like, but Devin, how do you make time for yourself? And then I think that's where the hobby and what we're like, I guess other hobbies come in. Cause I mean, of course, writing, like I said, writing, I love poetry. I love just writing stories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's something I've been have. That's a hobby I've had ever since I was, way younger I mean I'm 17 now but ever since I was way younger yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. but um they always are like Devin how do you um find time for yourself how do you create that um space where you're just like this is Devin this is here now 
I don't have to do any like work because I love what I do as you have like as we're talking about we love what we do yeah I think that's just the main thing that I always do because I'm so wanting to do it yeah yeah and I think that's what you what I'm what I'm saying to you right when people start to change what they love for what makes them a living right and not to say that people shouldn't make a living but you also have to calibrate right and so you and I do what we love at some point I I've called myself a recovering workaholic because what I love is what I do and so I've gone to the extreme I've gone overboard to the point where I didn't know you know what my normal what my quote unquote life was or who I was separate from my work right and so there's a way that when you know what that is early you're able to start putting those parameters in place right and so what they're asking you is you know what else is there for you to do but you also on the flip side have to understand that they may not have found their gift early they may still be looking right and so in a way i'm just saying you know i don't know what age it comes to people again i believe that we're all born with it but the age that it starts to get either cultivated or dismissed is then the part of the work of uncovering and rediscovering. Okay. So do you think that there are certain things like say a drastic change that happens in your life that makes you realize your gift? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've lost both of my parents now. My father passed away before I graduated from college. My mother passed away right before I turned 40. Um, and I think at those turning points in my life, there was always a revelation for me that there's something else to do, right? Like this is not enough, right? This, this can't be the end. Like there's, there's more to do and it really shifts your perception of what really matters, right? When I became a mother, it was like, oh, some of this is just so ridiculous. I don't even know why I've been thinking about it. Like there's a whole new life in the world that I'm responsible for, right? Like I cannot be bothered with those foolishness. I can't do that, right? And so it's just like all these ways that different levels of, um, I think, completion, right? And so what you were asking earlier about the task-based things, I think people think that they can measure their spiritual, mental, physical, emotional growth by task. And that's not always true because we don't grow emotionally, spiritually, mentally in a linear fashion, right? There are things that you're understanding right now from a cognitive perspective that you won't understand from an emotional perspective for a few years because the catalytic event hasn't happened for you to put those two things together, right? And so it just depends on the situations and circumstances in people's lives and their openness and willingness to bring that understanding into their, into their day to day. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I see what yeah. you mean. My last question for you is how can people find you? Tell us oh, your yeah. social media platforms and your website. Sure. So you can find me easily at crystalbrown.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-A-L brown.com. And on socials, it's at Life Steps and Stages and at Brown Girl Dance. So it's on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. You can find me just about anywhere, LinkedIn. Um, and if you're really interested in doing some work of creating a vision of a life you would love, please schedule your free vision call. I love to hear about where people are in their journey and how I can maybe be a catalyst for their growth. Crystal, you are such a positive influence on others. And I know we all say thank you. Thank, thank you, Deb. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I hope to see you guys at future Race to Speak Up podcast. 
If you have any questions about the Race to Speak Up podcast, feel free to contact me at race to speak up at gmail.com. Make sure to follow at Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on future podcasts. Join the Humanity Rising movement. Humanity Rising offers scholarships for students making a difference in the world through service. Visit www.humanityrising.org for more information. Remember to ask yourself this question. How do you race to speak up?